text for the sermon this morning is Matthew 28, the verses 2 to 4. We'll read those verses again. 2 to 4 of Matthew 28. And behold, there was a great earthquake, for an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone from the door and sat on it. His countenance was like lightning and his clothing as white as snow. And the guards shook for fear of him and became like dead men. So far the text. Beloved congregation of the Lord Jesus Christ, the angel said to the women, in verse 6 of Matthew 28, He is not here, for he is risen. He is risen. I doubt that those women understood fully what Christ's resurrection from the dead meant at that time. Later, it probably sank in what that, what that meant. But late, so later they understood, and today we understand what the, some of what the wonderful implications of what we celebrate today, Easter Sunday, what those implications are. The implications of Christ's resurrection, because we confess, for instance, in the Heidelberg Catechism, Lord's Day 17, three glorious benefits of Christ's resurrection. First, by his resurrection, Christ has overcome death so he can make us share in his righteousness. In other words, Christ's resurrection means he did everything needed to make us right with God, our justification. And secondly, by, his, by the power by which Christ rose from the dead, we too are raised up to new life, and that's sanctification, re regeneration. And in the third place, Christ's resurrection is to us a sure pledge of our glorious resurrection. In other words, his glorified body is the guarantee everyone who belongs to him, believes in him, will also have the same glorified body. But we'd be limiting the power of what took place Easter morning if we were only to see those three benefits of Christ's resurrection, if we considered them the only ones. Justification, sanctification, and glorification of believers is not the whole picture as such. Because that, that could make you think it's for me and Sam and Sally and a few others, that it's just for us and that's it. No. Christ's resurrection has amazing effect for the whole of creation. And then we include in that whole of creation heaven, earth, and also hell. Hell was also created by God. Christ's rising from the dead has significance 
for all of creation, heaven, earth, and hell. Cosmic significance, we could say. And that's what the Apostle Paul was trying to express in his letter to the Colossians then. Apparently there were teachers at that time in Colossae who taught that there were certain powers in creation over which Christ, even the risen Christ, has no power and which have to be dealt with outside of him. via other mystical means outside of Christ. So those teachers, you realize, they were undervaluing Christ's work. So, so the apostle Paul emphasizes the cosmic character of Christ's work right at the beginning of his letter to the Colossians already. Universal significance and you see that, for instance, in chapter 1, 18 to 20, we read before, it says there, He, Christ, is the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he may have preeminence. And then it continues, For it pleased the Father that in him all the fullness should dwell, and by him to reconcile all things to himself whether things on earth or things in heaven, having made peace by the blood of his cross. So what the apostle is saying in those verses that Christ's death and especially his resurrection have universal import. And if we see something of that, that universal, that cosmic significance, that can only increase our joy and our confidence in Christ, the risen Lord, on this Easter Sunday. And that, that cosmic effect of Christ's work was already evident on Easter morning as shown in our text. Early on that morning, earth was shaken. We could say heaven was shaken and even hell was shaken because of Christ's victory over death. And I preach to you the text then with this theme, the cosmic glory of Christ's resurrection. We see that those three things then, earth was shaken, heaven was shaken, and hell was shaken. First of all, earth was shaken at Christ's resurrection. Brothers and sisters and boys and girls too then, before we come to that shaking of the earth in the text, we have to emphasize that Everything on Easter morning, that, that, that in that text too, everything centers around Christ. And there were, there were other figures. Women went to the tomb. Angel descended from heaven. Guards were present who became like dead men. But Jesus is the one who stands there at the center of everything. And who is Jesus? The angel expresses that when he speaks to those women in verses, uh, the, the last part of verse 5 and the first part of verse 6. Do not be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified. He is not here, for he is risen, as he said. 
You see, Jesus who was crucified, actually it says in the Greek, Jesus, the crucified one. And note, note how that heavenly being connects Jesus' crucifixion then to his resurrection. Jesus' resurrection is the result of his crucifixion. God raised him from the dead because the full payment for sin had been made on the cross. The God who brought terrible judgment over Christ on Good Friday is the same one who raises him on Easter morning. And you see then that on Easter morning we still have to do with God as judge. God in the divine courtroom, so to speak. And with that resurrection of Jesus Christ, the holy judge, as it were, makes an announcement, a public announcement. He declares there at that tomb, with that open tomb, that Jesus has fully satisfied his justice against the sins of all those who he gave to Christ. Nothing needs to be added to that full payment of sin. The curse that brought death and decay over creation, which causes all creation to groan, has been borne by the crucified one. The earth shook when he gave up his spirit on the cross. And now God, the judge, releases the crucified one from all judgment and gives him the reward of righteousness, which is life everlasting. And this means, congregation, that God pronounces Jesus to be what he is, Savior, Lord, Savior of his people, Lord of the world. He saves his people from their sin. He saves the world from the consequences of sin. He takes away everything that has come into this world as a result of sin, our sinful nature, thorns and thistles, sweat and toil, pain and sickness, sorrow and death and decay. What nobody else could ever do, Jesus has done. He has accomplished. He atoned for sin, bore the full curse because of sin, and therefore, he will also deal with all the effects of sin in this world, on this earth. His resurrection, therefore, makes him the firstborn of all creation, as Paul calls him. He will renew all things. And is it any wonder, then, that the earth shook violently at his resurrection on Easter morning? Jesus' resurrection proclaims not only that he has obtained immortality for his people, but it means that now things are different on earth. Now things are different. Now Christ will be dealing with all the effects of sin on earth. That's what's going to happen. This, this earth which had been subjected to futility and to the bondage of corruption because of man's fall, as Paul writes, Romans 8, this earth, subjected to futility, now has a glorious future. Turning point has happened here. When God pronounced that Jesus sacrifices a full payment for sin by raising him from the dead, the earth shook, and that shows that that resurrection has meaning for the earth. Creation has a future. The earth has a future. 
And you know, today people worry about the future of the earth. They worry about asteroids striking the earth, about climate change affecting the earth, collapse of the sun on itself destroying the earth. But by his death and through his resurrection, Jesus the crucified one has obtained the full right to renew this earth, to glorify this earth, so broken at this time because of man's sin. So no wonder the earth moved at his resurrection in power. No wonder the, that great earthquake on Easter morning, the earth heaved because now it's on the way to being restored, renewed, become the undefiled inheritance of a saved and glorified human race. No more thorns and thistles in the future, pain or sorrow or death or decay. That's all going to come now. In fact, we could say that the earthquake at Jesus' resurrection was the, the first birth pain of the new earth, as Paul calls it, Romans 8. He writes there, Romans 8, 22 and 23, for we know that the whole creation groans and labors with birth pangs together until now. Not only that, but we also, we ourselves also have the first fruits of the Spirit, and even we ourselves groan within ourselves, eagerly waiting for the adoption, the redemption of our bodies, the resurrection. Creation shakes, heaves like a woman in the pain of childbirth today, because through Christ's work, through his resurrection, a new earth is being born, a paradise restored. And see, congregation, Christ's resurrection then puts everything that's happening on the earth today in a new light, right? When you look out and see what's happening, you see it in a different light. The thorns and the thistles, the struggle for survival in the animal world because of which many animals are on the verge of extinction too. The struggle over the destruction and pollution of the environment, the big meetings about climate change, the disasters like earthquakes and sunken ferries and crashed planes, the social and economic crises which wash over one nation after another, the effects of wars and conflicts like in Syria and Ukraine today. All those things, brothers and sisters, are no longer the groanings of a dying world for believers. They're no longer the groanings of a dying world, but they're the groanings of a world that is coming to rebirth because Christ rose on Easter Day. His victory over death has cosmic significance. Because of Christ's cross, sin and futility and decay and death have no right here on earth anymore. And because of Christ's resurrection, the earth in all its groanings is now on the way to glorious and complete renewal. And if you think about that, doesn't that make all your toil in life here worthwhile? All your toil at home, job, school, doesn't make it all worthwhile, even enjoyable. Because of Christ's resurrection, your work in this world is not for nothing. 
It's not going to disappear. Your work in this world isn't for nothing. It's not for a world that's going under and a life which is going to end in, in nothingness, in darkness. No, as the Apostle Paul writes near the end of 1 Corinthians 15, that wonderful chapter about the hope in Christ's resurrection, often read at the graveside, verses 56 to 58, the sting of death is sin and the strength of sin is the law, but thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. And therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing your labor is not in vain. Because of Christ's resurrection, in other words, the earth is not a dying planet, but the earth in all that's happening is in the process of rebirth. And that makes all your work in the kitchen and on the farm and in the job site worthwhile. You're actually working toward the glorious renewal of all things. It's coming. What a joyful prospect. No wonder the earth shook Easter morning. Heaven was also shaken. Brothers and sisters, boys and girls, we're told, verse 2 of the text, that there was a great earthquake for an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone from the door and sat upon it. Notice that it specifically states that that angel descended from heaven. He's even called an angel of the Lord. And you see in the following verse that his appearance was heavenly too. Countenance like lightning, clothing white as snow. So this angel had come, descended from heaven to the earth, but had come straight from God's throne, from that holy throne to this earth. And that angel rolled that stone in front of the opening of the tomb aside and then sat on it. And that's all extremely significant to think about. The, the Lord Jesus didn't need that angel to roll that stone away to let him out of the tomb. He was already out when that, when that happened. No walls or doors could contain or keep out the risen Lord. No, the appearance of that angel and his rolling aside that stone and sitting on it shows there has been movement in heaven. Something has happened in heaven. Heaven and earth have suddenly come closer to each other. Heaven is open to the risen Lord and his people. And you see in the Old Testament, you see, a grave or a tomb was unclean. No Jew was allowed to touch a tomb, a grave. It says in Numbers 19, verse 16, whoever in the open field touches one who is slain or who has died or a bone of a man or, or a grave shall be unclean for seven days. A whole seven-day-long cleansing ritual involving the ashes of a heifer sacrifice and water, pure water, and hyssop 
and washings every day for those seven days had to be followed for the cleansing. Because you were unclean, you touched a grave, a tomb. And in the meantime, that person who had touched the tomb was not allowed to touch another person or that other person would become unclean too. You see, the, a tomb was the height of uncleanness in the presence of God because it had to do with death and corruption, the inevitable result of man's fall into sin. In fact, the grave became a metaphor in Israel for depravity too. Not long before our text, Matthew 23, Jesus compared some people in his day to whitewashed tombs that are beautiful on the outside but full of dead man's bones and everything in clean, unclean on the inside. They're only outwardly righteous and religious, but inwardly horribly unclean is what he's saying. And detestable to God, holy God. And that is why, for instance, those many tombs around Jerusalem too, they were whitewashed. The Lord Jesus Christ calls them whitewashed tombs, those Pharisees and teachers of the law, whitewashed. And that was to warn all the many pilgrims who came from all over to Jerusalem for the feasts. That was to warn them, don't touch this. Don't touch this. Because then if you even accidentally touched a tomb, you were unclean for a week and you couldn't take part in the feast. You couldn't come close to the temple. What do we see in our text? A messenger straight from God's throne, holy throne in heaven. He comes and he puts his hands, he's in human form here, puts his hands on that stone in front of the tomb and he rolls that stone aside. He touches the tomb and not only does he touch it, he sits on that stone. And that shows very clearly that the uncleanness and unholiness because of death is taken away in the sight of heaven. Heaven has changed. Because otherwise, how could that glorious servant of holy God not only touch the tomb, but even sit on it? Because of Christ's resurrection, death and grave no longer carry that curse, no longer represent corruption and depravity. And you see in that angel sitting on that tombstone that heaven has been shaken. Has, heaven has moved considerably closer to earth. For those who die in the Lord, death is now a short step to heaven, to eternal glory with God. And being buried in a grave, that is a step to immortality. So because of Christ's death and resurrection, heaven was gloriously shaken too, we could say. That was in, what was inconceivable before. A messenger from holy God touching a tomb was possible on that day. Holy angels sat on the tomb where Jesus' dead body had been laid. And so the tomb is no longer an unclean place in the sight of heaven. A holy place it is now. It's now a holy place because of Christ 
having laid there and risen from the dead. The grave is a holy place where the bodies of those who are in Christ are laid to wait for his appearance, for his voice to raise them to glorified life. Jesus said that in John 5, most assuredly I say to you, the hour is coming and now is when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God and those who hear will live. Finally, we could say that hell was shaken on Easter morning. And you might wonder where I get that from in the text, but it's there. Notice we're told in verse 4 of the text, and the guards shook for fear of him and became like dead men. The shaking of those guards was actually, we could say, the shaking of hell. For those guards, brothers and sisters, boys and girls, at Jesus' tomb were placed there by request of the Jewish leaders to Pontius Pilate, and those leaders were, wanted to make sure that Jesus' body would stay in that tomb. Hence the guards. And behind that attempt to keep Jesus in the tomb, in the realm of the dead, was the devil himself and his dominion. Were the powers of hell because those guards were the pawns of hell. And those pawns of hell, those Roman soldiers, they were rough and tough fellows, you can be sure. The Roman army was a disciplined and mighty force, conquered all of the known world at the time. But those soldiers shook all over and fell down stiff and as dead when a single servant of the Lord showed his bright face on Easter morning. One servant of the Lord was too much for them already, and they became as dead men because of fear, and they shook. But what does that mean but that the enemies of God and his anointed are certainly destined for defeat? Oh, they'll, they're, they're going to do all they can to hold on to this world and, if possible, draw even God's elect into hell with them. And you see that already right after what happened at the tomb on Easter morning. Some of those guards went to the chief priests and they, they told them everything that had happened and the priests and the elders gave them money to spread the lie that Jesus' disciples had come at night and stolen his body away. The devil is the father of lies. Hell was still trying to hang on to things here. But what all those leaders and those guards on behalf of the powers of hell had tried to prevent had already taken place. The Lord was no longer there, for he was risen. He is the mighty conqueror. He is the rider on the white horse whom John sees in Revelation who rides out over the whole earth to conquer with that two-edged sword coming out of his mouth, the word. No power can stop him. Jesus Christ lives and not even the powers of hell can stop him from gathering his elect into his church in this world until the number is full. Lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age, said the risen Lord. 
And he could say that. He had the power. And one lone servant of his already scared soldiers of the Roman Empire to death, so the gates of hell will not prevail against his church. They're going to do his, their best to stop his work, like the leaders and soldiers did at the tomb. And it has happens, as happens today, too, persecuted Christians. The powers of hell are still trying to stop Christ's work from progressing on this earth, his church gathering work, but there is no power in heaven or on earth or in hell which can stop him, which can separate anyone from the love of God and Jesus Christ anymore. No wonder, no wonder the whole cosmos was shaken that Easter morning, right? The earth shook because Christ's resurrection means that its great renewal is now certainly on the way. The earth is in birth pain, pains to the new heavens and new earth. Heaven was shaken because it also started to descend toward the earth because of Christ's empty tomb. And hell shook because it was clearly shown at Jesus' tomb that the powers of hell can, are not going to stop his work to bring about the new heavens and the new earth in which righteousness dwells. Brothers and sisters, are you shaking too? Not with fear, but with joy in the anticipation of being with your Lord in his perfect glory forever. Amen.